We continue to watch people make the claim of masks as good, of masks as valuable and important. That you have to wear a mask, that's the only way to stay safe. But we know that's not true. We know the science isn't there. We know that the science doesn't bring us into that place. And we know certainly that kids in schools wearing masks all day. I was on a flight to to Arizona. Three hours? Three hours on a plane with a mask? It's awful. That's just three hours for like two days. Not five days a week. I, I know I'm fortunate that I work in such a capacity that I don't, I, 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 even when people were wearing masks, not me. It's not because I was trying to, you know, yeah, I'm not going to buy in and stick it to the man. My life didn't require it. If you were a business that required a mask, okay. You weren't 100% sure at the time, okay. But when you became sure and you still required it, Notice I said a business, because when the government mandated, I said, okay, this is just wrong. Government should not be in the business of mandating masks. And they should have been fought aggressively. The governor of, of, of Indiana, my state, you know, was like, hey, you got to wear a mask. I was like, ah, you're wrong. Oh, we haven't spoken since. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think he's broken up about it. I, I'm pretty sure of that. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. Facebook, Tony Katz Radio, the phone number 833, got Tony, 833-468-8669. Government shouldn't be mandating masks. Well, Tony, it's a once-in-a-hundred-year virus. What does that matter to me? It's the same kind of mathematics that would have one saying uh, that um, it's, it's a virus, so really the Constitution doesn't apply here. Um, the Constitution applies here. The Constitution always applies. There's never a moment where it doesn't apply. And anybody who says otherwise is clearly wrong. But this aggressive nature on masks, so much more a narrative conversation than a factual conversation. And when you see people vaccinated or not outside wearing a mask, I'm not saying they can't live their lives. I'm saying that they, they must know somewhere that they're fooling no one, including themselves. But I go back to the, to the parents. I go back to the kids in school wearing masks every single day. I mean, somebody has to ask the question. I've heard this in passing. What in the world are in these masks? But did anybody ever do an analysis? Did anyone ever take a look at the masks? Scott Moorfield joins us right now from townhall.com. Uh, spent three years doing media and politics reporting for Daily Caller and also a couple years with the people over at BizPack Review. His bylines have been with The Federalist, American Greatness, uh, The Hill, and a series of others. He joins us right now because the story, Scott, a group of parents sent their kids' face masks to a lab for analysis. Here's what they found is the most titillating and frightening headline I have read in a long time. So who are these parents? Where's where's their school district? And what did they find out? 
Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, six parents in Florida, um, Gainesville, out of Gainesville, and they decided uh, just getting frustrated at the constant mask, mask wearing for, for the kids, and it, it's just really tragic that we've imposed this on the group that is at the least statistical risk from COVID and also the least statistical spread of COVID. And we're imposing this on them still under the premise that, well, we haven't approved, we haven't approved the vaccine for something that they are not at risk for. So these parents got frustrated and thought, hey, let's send off the mask to the lab and get them analyzed and see what's on those masks. So interestingly, they they found lots of baddies, and you can look at the post. You're right; it's a pretty scary headline. I can't even pronounce all these things. Let me try. But Wait, uh, let me let me try. <laughs> First, here's what they found: uh, as you describe it, eleven alarmingly dangerous pathogens: yep. Streptococcus pneumoniae, which is pneumonia; Mycobacterium tuberculosis, which is tuberculosis; Neisseria meningitis, meningitis which is um, can lead to meningitis and sepsis, acanthamoeba polyphaga, which can lead to keratitis and gran- granulomatose amoebic encephalitis. Well, we can figure out the encephalitis part. This list is, yeah. this one causes Lyme disease, this one causes diphtheria, this one causes Legionnaire's disease, which is Legionella and pneumophila. Go ahead. Yeah, E. coli, right? Right, I mean, E. coli just, is on on the list. Food poisoning. They found all this from a series of masks. Um, has anybody asked whether or not this is uh, something that could be duplicated or you would find the same types of things around the country, the same in Texas, the same in Indiana, the same in California, the same in New York? Yeah, the, the idea is that, uh, hey, we need to study this because nobody's studying it until now. Nobody's really, I mean, we've all suspected it, right? We've all said, hey, you can't, oh, and and by the way, the one thing they did not find was COVID-19 or any viruses, really, because guess what? Masks don't stop viruses. Um, You know, we knew that, too. But it's interesting, you know, all of us suspected all along that if you put a cloth right next to your face and you breathe in and out of that cloth, you're creating a warm, moist environment where bacteria can collaborate and spread. So the bacteria, you know, I've, I've, people on the comments and people on Twitter, some of them come back and they say, oh, well, that's good, right? That's a pro-mask position because the mask stopped all this horrible bacteria from reaching the kid. No, the mask is creating a breeding ground for those bacteria, and so the child is having to breathe that in. And so you've got doctors who have reported increased cases of strep, increased cases of just rashes and, you know, uh, tooth decay and and just just long-term things that are caused by common sense, you know, having that right next to you and and breathing it in all the time. So um, it's it's uh, it calls for further study. I mean, it's only a few masks, right? But they wore it. They only wore it for one day. And they also tested a shirt as a shirt sleeve as a control group. So it's not like all these things are just on everything that we wear. Um, it's particularly concentrated on the masks. 
So that's significant, and you would think that the media would want to study that more. Uh, no, no, really we, we, we have seen far too often narrative before facts talking to Scott Moorfield of townhall.com. Uh, I want to go to one more piece uh, that you did on masks, which is about a legal win in Florida, Florida appeals court. Um, and, and what you refer to as a devastating blow to forced masking. Now, when you say forced masking, you're talking about counties that have mask mandates or some states had mask mandates and certainly um, gotten rid of them in, in many cases. This is, I think you pronounce it Alachua County, um, right. was a pushback on their mask requirement. What was the requirement and what did the first district court say? Yeah, basically two to one. Um, that, that said, hey, uh, the right to be litigant alone by government does exist in Florida at a, as part of a right of privacy that our Supreme Court has declared to be fundamental. So it's construed the fundamental right to be so broad as to include the complete freedom of a person to control his own body. So uh, under this construction, it says a person reasonably can expect not to be forced by the government to put something on his own face against his will. So basically... Using the uh, the right to privacy um, to say, hey, you know, even a even a pandemic doesn't give a government the right to force you to wear something against your will, um, uh, particularly something as onerous as this. And, and of course, I take issue with the whole, oh, it's just a mask, it's just a small thing. It's not. It's a big thing, and uh, and and these mandates have to be fought. So this is significant, I think. Um, as far as just paving the way for a lawsuit, I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, it's obviously going to be appealed uh, to the uh, to the Supreme Court. But what's interesting is the Supreme Court of Florida is pretty conservative. Most uh, four, I think three out of the seven were appointed by DeSantis. Um, so, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens with it. But it's definitely a good win that kind of paves the way for some better things. Scott Moorfield, townhall.com, S.K. Moorfield, M-O-R-E-F-I-E-L-D. That's where you find him on Twitter. I appreciate you taking uh, the, the time. I've got a lot to get to, including the White House making a move on Ukraine. And if you haven't heard yet from Joe Rogan, oh, his words on CNN, about CNN, are just glorious. That's coming up. I'm Tony Katz. To hear Joe Rogan talking about Brian Stelter is just remarkable. To hear him say the show that he does is just absolutely terrible, and that's why he has no list, that's why he has no viewers, that's why the ratings are so horrible. Oh, spectacular. Now, it was actually a one-two punch for CNN, one that they rightfully deserve. And they rightfully deserve it because CNN has still not figured out that they're the problem. That you don't have people saying that CNN is the enemy of the people because they like saying CNN is the enemy of the people. CNN is a bad news outlet. CNN does not care about anything. 
They aren't interested in actual news. They are interested solely, exclusively, uniquely in an ideology. That's who they are. Hate Trump 24-7, 365. Don't let anything get in the way. Don't let anything get in the way. Chris Cuomo got had somebody reach out to him on Twitter. You constantly deny facts you don't like. Chris Cuomo, being an egomaniac psychopath, writes back, name one, TikTok. 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 Now, admittedly, I, I must say, I have probably done that on Twitter before, uh, but uh, Twitter's evil, and it makes you do stupid things, which is why you don't see much of me on Twitter. Who needs it? Maybe maybe a couple times a week? Just, oi! We're putting out stuff for the show, and, and, if, and if you're talking to me, right, I'll, I'll talk to you, right, during the show. But it, people live on it, and, and, and this is how they prove themselves. It's crazy. You're Chris Cuomo. Name one. Name one fact you deny. How about the fact that Governor Ron DeSantis did a better job than your brother Andrew Cuomo? How about the fact that Rebecca Jones, as we pointed out, lies in Florida and you support her lies? How about your claim that the Republicans want Jim Crow laws? How about the idea that you didn't say, you didn't know that the First Amendment protects peaceful protest? How about the fact that you broke quarantine, as Carol Markowitz points out, while you actually had COVID? How about having Michael Avenatti on the show repeatedly? Chris Cuomo is so absolutely full of himself and his belief in his superiority. He's never done anything wrong. How dare you? This brings us to the Joe Rogan story. Because Joe Rogan's referencing the fact that they had a panel on on uh, Brian Stelter's show, which is called Reliable Sources, which is not reliable and has no sources. And they said, you know, you, can you believe there are people on YouTube right now that get more viewers than this show? Yeah, of course. There are plenty of people on, on social media and, 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 and content creators who have a, a bigger audience than you. And as Rogan says it, it's because your show is blank and terrible. He's talking to a progressive commentator named Kyle Kalinske at the time. I have no idea who he is. And even Kyle is like, yeah, he's the worst. Because Brian Stelter is the worst. Look, I, I am one of the worst people to be able to make the determination on whether or not people have talent. I, like, I'm often asked, hey, what do you think uh, of, of this radio host or, 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 or that radio host? And I'm like, I, I, what, what am I supposed to tell you? I can't, I, 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 I have no idea. I, I have absolutely positively no idea. I, I can't tell you if they're good or, or, or bad or, 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 or anything. I don't have the ear for it. Other people do, and that's why they're in that business, and I'm in this business. But what is the discernible talent that Brian Stelter has? Standing up to uh, for the press, standing up to the press, standing up uh, to, to, to politicos? Uh, 
What is his job? Oh, attacking Tucker Carlson and Fox News. That, that's, that's his job. That's not, that's not a tough job. That's an easy job, it seems to me. A very simple, basic job, it seems to me. But not one that gets people having faith in what it is that you do. In that somehow you're bringing them something they can't get anywhere else. You are a narrative-driven guy in a narrative-driven network, and then you have the audacity to say, by the way, we're important, and you must listen to us, and we, want, we understand better than you. It was Chris Cuomo who once said about some leaked thing, oh, we have access to this because we're the media. You can't have this. We can have this. People like him and Brian Stelter believe this, and they believe that they are the ones and the only ones who can bring this forward. Barry Weiss, when she left the New York Times, discussed this this idea, these people who believe they have a secret knowledge. David Mamet wrote about it. The book is called The Secret Knowledge. Oh, is it a good book? What secret? What knowledge? They cannot even recognize their own failings. They cannot recognize how bad they are. And the worst part is, they make more money than I do. I mean, that, that isn't the worst part. All right, it's just one of the many, many bad parts. They have no sense of recognition whatsoever. What you need to recognize is that there are deals out there. It's a Father's Day offer, which is, I know, this weekend, but still the deal is pretty sweet. Over at OmahaStakes.com, here is the story. $99.99. $99.99. You're going to get the four bacon-wrapped fillets, the four premium boneless chicken breasts, the four boneless pork chops, the eight gourmet jumbo franks, the caramel apple tartlets for dessert, for dessert and eight free filet mignon burgers. Go to OmahaStakes.com, and right there, there's a search bar. You put in Tony, T-O-N-Y. That's all. All you have to do, put Tony in the search bar. You're going to get a tremendous number of deals. This is the dad's best grill pack. Out of the freezer, right? They come frozen. All you got to do is take them out of the freezer. Put them in the fridge. Do that in the morning. In the evening, you're grilling, and you're grilling beautifully. OmahaSteaks.com. Use keyword Tony. OmahaSteaks.com, and get the dad's best grill pack, and put Tony in that search bar, T-O-N-Y. OmahaSteaks.com. Keyword Tony. So I asked myself, self, I said, what's the most controversial thing you could do on radio? Why do you do this to me? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. What is the most controversial subject you could ever bring up? What is the thing that will get the FCC to demand that you be fired and the sponsors to go crazy and yet other people to just be an uproar and 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 pray to effigies of you? What? What, Tony, could you do to create such a moment? I said, I know. Read off a list that someone created of the funniest Saturday Night Live cast members ever. Someone took the time to rank Saturday Night Live cast members. This is not a conversation of whether or not you think it's funny. This is a conversation of whether or not you agree or disagree. There is a list for everything and everything has a list. 
The creation of lists is the greatest invention in all of blogging, in all of the internet. Because with a list, you can do anything. And you can get people to radically scream and yell. You can get people to lose their heads, lose all composure over a list. And I know this to be true because number 30 on this list is Fred Armisen. And that's way too high. The guy from Portlandia, do you even know who he is, Producer Ari? Yeah, I know him. You like him? I mean, he's he's humorous. I'm not sure I'd rank him that high either, but like, he's humorous. He's a character and- actor. He's a, he's a character actor? Like, he's never going to be the star of a movie, but, like, he's funny in, like, a supporting role of a movie as, like, the goofy best friend or the quirky shop owner. And part of the problem with this list is it's a difference between cast member and where they had another career. So, for example, Armisen spent 11 seasons on Saturday Night Live. He's number 30. Chris Rock is 28. Chris Rock is funnier than Fred Armisen. But Fred Armisen was more important to the show because Rock really failed at the show. By the way, number 27 on this list is Daryl Hammond, who was 14 years on the show. Is Daryl Hammond still alive? Yeah, I think he is. He did Koppel. He did Trump. He did John McCain. He did, uh, he did uh, Sean Connery in Celebrity Jeopardy, which was always good. Will Ferrell doing Alex Trebek. Norm MacDonald doing Burt Reynolds. That's a great routine. He's 27th on the list. Norm MacDonald's 26th. All right. Norm MacDonald makes me cry. I, I have a irrational love of, of Norm MacDonald. Every now and then I'll break into the Norm MacDonald impression. Right, that's 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 usually the way I, way I do. You know, I just I'll just I'll just fall into it right there. Ah, oh, dude, guy makes me laugh like no one else. That he's only twenty six, and remember, he's a guy who got fired. He got fired, and this is how I know the list is bunk because Tim Meadows is twenty fifth, and that's just not true. That's not true. Tim Meadows did Leon Phelps, the ladies' man. Great routine, and I can't tell you another thing he did, and neither can Oh, he played the part of Al Callings. That's not enough. Tim Mills is funny. Uh, uh, Andy Samberg is 24. Now, I can't remember much of what Samberg did, except for Lazy Sunday. The, 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 the digital shorts. The Lonely Island, yeah. Right. Yeah, Lonely Island was this trio that he was a part of. And did he leave them behind, or do they still no, work still together? together? What? Yeah, no, they still roll together. All right. Um, Sandberg's funny. Brooklyn Nine-Nine, if you want to binge watch a great show on Hulu, Brooklyn Nine-Nine is very funny. Even in the later seasons where they've kind of played it all out, it's still pretty good. Really good, really good pace, great character development, and, and I like, I like Sandberg. They have Vanessa Bear as 23rd on the show, please. No one even knows. No one knows. Maya Rudolph is 22nd. Maya Rudolph is brilliant. She should have a bigger career. Maya Rudolph uh, recently did the impression of uh, Kamala Harris. 
Very, very good. And then there's the people who are funny on Saturday Night Live and have never done another thing. Rachel Dratch. Rachel Dratch, Sherry O'Terry. They will. It's it's like there's nothing else for them to do. But they were fantastic. They they were good on the show. Uh, neither one of them, by the way, gets political, right? And because they don't get political, uh, that's better. Adam Sandler is number eighteen. Sandler was only on the show for four years, ninety-one through ninety-five, or five seasons, I should say. I didn't know that. Yeah, but he was just so iconic that it feels like longer. Right. Chevy Chase is 17th. He only lasted a year. He left. He thought he was too big for it. People forget that. He was part of that original crew, and he left super quick. Bill Murray is 15th. See, so here's the issue. Bill Murray is an institution now. I mean, he was funny then. He's an institution now. Just looking at Bill Murray makes people laugh and makes people feel good. They love it. They absolutely... uh, Bill Murray can do... Absolutely no wrong. Uh, John Belushi's 13th. Gilda Radner is is 12th. Man, if Gilda Radner had lived. If Gilda Radner had lived. My oh my. Uh, Chris Farley is number 11. He was on that show for six seasons. I would have thought he was number one. He outpaced Belushi. In drugs? Uh, well, I'm talking about on this list, oh. <laughs> but also possibly in drugs. You'd have to you'd have to ask Spade or Sandler. I don't know. It's funny when 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 David Spade and 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 Adam when David Spade first started talking about Chris Farley after Chris Farley passed away, I always questioned whether or not that was forced on him. Yeah, you did the movies with him. You're his friend. You 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 do the talking. Right, not not knowing about any personal relationship, I would I wasn't going to guess at it or anything. I was like, all right. But the more you see those dudes talk about Farley, the more just I mean, I don't I don't think this is pretense. I think this is like really true, insane brotherly love kind of thing that went on in a way that we don't understand. Like 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 him the way Spade talks about it, the way Sandler talks about it, I'd I'd love to talk to them about it. Because it's different than the way other people are spoken about. There's something rather intense about the the entirety of the conversation. Uh, number 10 is Tina Fey. Now, remember, before she was a cast member, she was a writer. But she was a cast member for six years. I don't think funnier than Farley. One man's thesis. Dana Carvey is number nine. And Dana Carvey, brilliant. There's a documentary that I refuse to watch on Netflix. Why do you refuse to watch it? Because if I watch it, I'm going to be sad. I, th- I think uh, it's on Netflix. It might be Hulu. I understand. It's the it's about how the Dana Carvey show fell apart. The Dana Carvey show had every brilliant writer there is out there. Everybody, the the Colberts, the Carells, all all of them. It had them all, and that show did, I don't think lasted a season. And I'm to watch it is just going to pain me, and so I haven't watched it yet. But no, I, I think uh, I'll, I'll give uh, Carvey a top 10. Phil Hartman is number eight. Uh, yes. A lot of good caricature impressions. Bill Hader's number seven. Just the character of Stefan. This place has everything. That is a brilliant uh, gig or a brilliant uh, uh, 
uh, gimmick, if you will. And one of the most underrated skits of all time was the one that was led by uh, Kenan Thompson, and it was with uh, Bill Hader as Lindy, Lindsey Buckingham, and had Jason Sudeikis like, like jogging in place, and Fred Armisen was playing saxophone. It was called What Up With That? You just go and find it uh, uh, wherever you get videos and watch. Absolutely spectacular skit. Bill Hader's funny. Uh, I, he he does make me laugh. Ackroyd is number six. I mean, I think more iconic than anything. Mike Myers is number five. You know what? Maybe. No, I don't have a problem with that. Right? Wayne and Garth, Sprockets, Linda Richmond. Like, there were some serious characters there. He did a lot. And Wayne and Garth became institution in America. Kate McKinnon is number four. Nope. No, 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 no. She's been on the show for 10 seasons. She does, Look, it's not that she doesn't do good impressions and whatnot. It's that I find her to be a, a coward when it comes to comedy. She won't really do the stuff uh, on the politics. You know, her doing the whole uh, playing the piano when Trump won as Hillary Clinton, like it was the worst thing, like it was a terrorist attack. I always thought that was disgusting. I always thought it was cheap. Number four, Kate McKinnon. I don't know about that. Will Ferrell, number three. I think Will Ferrell could be in anybody's top ten in terms of the characters he created and what he did on the show. Kristen Wiig is number two. Um, Gilly, a target lady, uh, the weird, weird sister on the Lawrence Welk show. She makes me laugh. She does uncomfortable very, very well. I honestly don't know if she's a top tenner. Top so two. Wait, so uh, based on everybody we've gone over, who's number one? You said Will Ferrell. We said right. Adam Sandler. Are they going to go Eddie Murphy as number one? Oh, dude, yes, of course. The the funniest as a cast member. So that would be Gumby, and that would be Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood or, or Mr. Robinson's Neighborhood. And a couple, it's got to be Eddie Murphy, right? It, it is Eddie Murphy. I'm sure of it. It is Eddie Murphy, 1980 to 1984. That is a buckwheat. So it's a list. It's a list with controversy. And that's why I bring it to you, because I love you. I said, what can I do? What could create the most controversy ever? There it is. There's the list of, of, of the 30. I'll, we might put it on, on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash Tony Katz Radio. And people be like, I don't care about Saturday Night Live. Why are you putting it up here? Because maybe not everything should make you so ridiculously angry. All right, agreed. They should focus more on comedy than on politics. And if they're going to make fun of politics, they should do it in a comedic way and not in a solely partisan way. You tell me. You agree with this list or not? I'm Tony Katz. Just like we're hearing about issues in Fulton County, Georgia... I'm going to need a little more time to go over those. I'm going to need a little more time to go over what just took place in Portland. But this should be a lesson to the defund fools. To all those people who think that you can treat a cop any which way. 
that you if you if you fail to recognize the work that they do, they're not going to do the work. Then you figure it out. I am not saying there should be police brutality. I'm not saying we should look the other way on police brutality. I am saying that not everything is, oh, that cop has to go. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. All 50 of the members of the Rapid Response Unit in Portland resigned because an officer named Corey Budworth got was indicted for allegedly assaulting a photographer during a riot last summer. As the story goes, 75 nights of consecutive destruction. A small group of the rapid response team officers, including Officer Budworth, tasked with dealing a riot with a riot once again. They're clearing rioters from an area to allow f- the fire department to extinguish a blaze. But the rioters come back. They reorganize, they regroup, and, and they uh, keep coming at officers. And the officer in question, Officer Budworth, was forcefully knocked to the ground. The crowd starts getting aggressive. Officers deploy pepper spray. And then one person's getting arrested. Rioters start interfering with the officer's attempt to place somebody under arrest. In dealing with that, Officer Budworth and other officers used their police-issued batons to try and stop the crowd's criminal activity. Per his training, as the union describes it, and in response to the active aggression of a rioter interfering with a lawful arrest, Officer Budworth used baton pushes to move a rioter. That rioter is Terry Jacobs. Jacobs, a photographer, falls to the ground. Cell phone video shows Budworth striking Jacobs in the head from behind. The union says the blow to the head was an accident on the officer's part, and he used the lowest level of baton force. Now, I haven't seen the video. But let us picture the scene, because I don't even need to worry about whether or not it was an accident. Officers are getting attacked. Are the officers officers supposed to retreat into another building? Are they just supposed to wait until the attackers are done? Or are they supposed to deal with those people attacking to get them to stop? They're arresting somebody. The rioters are interfering. So the police push back on those interfering so the arrest could be made. And someone uh, gets pushed, falls to the ground. I don't know if the officer thought they were getting back up, coming at them, whatever the case may be. But if the argument is the cop can't do anything, can't have a reasonable belief that this person's getting back up to fight them, who they're already having to push with batons and hits them with a baton, although I haven't seen the video, so I don't know to what level... Um was was done where they cracked over the head with a baton or where they pushed down with the baton according to the union it was a push not a strike or a jab and you want to indict an officer for that damn straight they're going to resign you figure it out portland you figure screw you don't i i how do i how am i supposed to feel for the people of portland I mean, the truth is, I do. They can't just move. Why? You know, uh, I get how you say "screw you," but the truth is, you can't say that. You can't. These people live there. You know, I often say of Californians, man, if you live there, it's on you. There are people there who are still fighting, and some people who can't necessarily afford to leave.
They've got other reasons to stay. You want your pla- the place where you live to be as good as possible. But I, I should be m- much more clear, much more uh, focused in my conversations. The woke folk, the political left. Why should, why should a police department work for you? Why should they care about you? Look what you do to them. Look at how you treat them. And when they do what they're trained to do, you say indictment. Their right to resign. When cops do the wrong thing, we should say so. When people do the wrong thing, we should say so as well. This is Tony Katz today.